So the Jewish take on government welfare, before we get to the um, at, talking about government welfare, first let's talk a little bit about charity in Judaism. So one of the s- central values to any successful society is helping people who are able to, helping others, and being concerned for others. If we had a society where people only thought of themselves and never helped each other, that society would be a very, very bad place. The Mishnah in Pirkei Avot in Ethics of Our Fathers says that if people have an attitude, what is mine is mine, and what is yours is yours. I take care of myself, you take care of yourself. Each person for themselves, says the Mishnah, that zumidat sadom. That is the way they acted in the town of Sodom. Sodom was the town that God had destroyed because they didn't believe in people caring for each other. So a society where people don't look out for each other is a horrible society, a bad society. A good society is a place where people care for each other. In fact, the Torah tells us about Noah. Noah is one of our great heroes. When God destroyed the entire world, the only righteous person he could find was Noah. And all humanities, he was the one who was saved with the flood, all humanity was our descendants of Noah. And yet God did not make Noah the father of his chosen people. Rather, the Jewish people begin, who is our father, who is the father of our people? Abraham. Our people begin with Abraham. Why? Our sages say that's because Noah was missing a very crucial value caring for others. Noah didn't, even though God told him he's going to destroy the world, Noah didn't go out and try to help people, say you better change or else God's going to, you're going to drown in a flood. He didn't tell them that. He didn't make any effort to try to save people from the flood. He just saved himself and his family. He didn't save anyone else around him. Abraham didn't even think of him, only think of himself. Abraham was there helping others. The Torah tells about Abraham's generosity about his inviting in guests, about how when Sodom was going to be destroyed, Abraham begged God to save Sodom. So Noah was a great man, but he, um, we reject him because he lacked empathy for others. Abraham, on the other hand, because of his care for others, was chosen as the father of our people. In fact, the Torah says the reason why Abraham is chosen as the father of our people is he's going to teach his family they're going to keep the way of charity he's going to teach charity to his family that's why God chose Abraham because we are a people of charity we are a people that care for others in fact the Talmud tells us that one of the defining traits of a Jew Jews have certain natural traits that we're born with perhaps you would say today genetically that the Talmud says, we're born with certain traits. One of them is we are kind. Kind and gomle chasad, and we give, we're kind to others. We care for others. It's a natural Jewish trait. If you meet a Jew that does, isn't caring and doesn't care about other people, you should check into their lineage. They might have a problem there. Not necessarily, but they might, because Jews are naturally caring. We were trained like that from our ancestors, from Abraham, from our ancestors. And that's why in the Torah, it's not just a nice thing to help others. It is a responsibility to help others. You see someone in danger, you can't just look the other way. Today everyone pulls out their cell phone and starts to video. You don't let it do that. You have to step in to save them. It's a commandment in the Torah. Do not stand by your fellow's blood. You see someone struggling, you see someone in danger, you've got to step in and save them. You're not a good Samaritan or a good, I think that's a Christian concept, but you're not considered extra good if you do it. It's a responsibility. You're guilty of not saving them if you fail to. The Torah tells you if you see someone's donkey struggling under their load, you've got to stop and help them reload their donkey. You see someone struggling, their car pulled over to the side of the road, you've got to help them. If you see a lost object, the Torah says, alem. You cannot ignore them. You have to, again, you're required to help them. So we see that 
we need to help we're not ju- we have social responsibility we're not just required to uh, we're, we're not, it's not just out of the goodness of our heart that we help others we are required to help others not only do we have to help people spirit- materially we have to help people spiritually Torah says if you see someone doing wrong you have a responsibility to correct them so caring for people in Judaism is a moral responsibility so one central part of our social responsibility is caring for the poor in society. Now, when Israel was agrarian, and we were for the first 1,500 years or so of our history, most Jews were farmers. So we had special rules for farmers to care for the poor. Every time you harvested your field, you had to separate peah. You had to separate the corner of your field, and the poor, you had to leave it for the poor and allow the poor to collect it. Not only that, if you left behind stalks of grain while you were gathering the grain, you've got to, you can't go back and collect, you've got to leave it for the poor. Any bundles of grain that you forgot in the field, leave it for the poor. Any grapes in your vineyards that fall to the floor, leave it to the poor. Small clusters of grapes on the vines that kind of grow a very small cluster, leave for the poor. Not only that, twice every seven years you had to take 10% of your produce and you had to give it all to the poor. So we had a lot of commandments for produce that we had to give to the poor. We had to take care of people who were in need. So we have in general a mitzvah to take care of anyone who is in trouble, but we have a particular mitzvah to take care of the poor. So in this week's parsha, as we pointed out, the Torah tells us that when there is a poor person among you, you are responsible to take care of them. You must open your hands to them. Do not close your hands. You must open your hands and care for them. And you must give them enough, or enough that to fill everything they are missing. You've got to care for them entirely. You can't just give them a little bit. You gotta make sure they are fully cared for. Yes. But if, if you're just giving them handouts, what's gonna make them try to work? Very good question. If you give people handouts, who's gonna what's gonna make them work? Excellent question. We're gonna to get to that very soon. So we have a responsibility, a requirement, Jews have a requirement to help those among us who are in need. Not just to help individuals who are in, not just to help people a little bit, give them a coin when they come around. We must make sure they have everything that they need. They're not missing anything. Now our sages point out, it is impossible for any one person to care for every single poor person out there. It's not possible. Nobody has, or almost nobody has, those kind of resources to be able to care for everybody in need. So therefore, in addition to the personal responsibility to do your part, to do your best to try to care for people in need that you're able to, um, and there's rules as to who you should give preference to. Give preference to your family first, uh, to your neighbors first. There's rules as to who you should give preference to. But we have also a communal responsibility. No individual can ensure that every poor person has everything they need. But as a community, we have a responsibility to ensure that everybody within the community has everything that they need. And so, therefore, we as a community must make sure, collect money enough to take care of everybody who is in need. And what that consists of, I'll get to soon. One of our great Jewish leaders was Rabbi Shlomo ben Aderet. He was the chief rabbi of Barcelona in the 1300s, known, famous by the acronym Rashba. Rabbi Shlomo ben Aderet. And Rabbi Shlomo ben Aderet is famous for his shuvot, or or responsum they're called, answers, he would be asked questions by communities all around the world, would send him questions, and he would write the answers um, as to what they should do. So there was a community that asked Rabbi Shlomo ben Aderet that there were poor people in the community, 
And so what the community wanted to do is they were going to tax all the people who had what they needed based on people's how much people were able to pay and collect that money and then distribute it among those in need. So the wealthy people said, why are you doing that? You can't tax us. We will take care of the poor on our own. We will take care of the poor on our own. Don't force us. Let us do it out of the own goodness of our heart. The communal leader said, no. We want it to be a communal thing. We want to tax you and figure out, we'll figure out how much is fair for everyone to pay. And then we're going to distribute ourselves to the poor. So should we leave it up to the rich people to do it on their own? Or should every individual, or should the community be able to do it as a community, collect from the rich and give to the poor? So the Rashba responds that the Jewish law says that the responsibility to care for the poor is not just on the individual, but on the community. A community must care for its poor. <laughs> How do you do that? By collecting from those who have, those who can spare a little bit, and giving back to those who don't have. So we have to collect from we have to collect from those who are able to pay. And the responsibility and the Rashba writes that firstly it's a communal responsibility. In other words, everybody has this responsibility. Secondly, not only is it a communal responsibility, um, in other words, we all have this responsibility, um, but also it's a more dignified way to help the poor. If you go over and give the poor yourself and they know who is the source giving it to them, they're embarrassed. If they get it from public funds, it's a lot more embarrassing, it's much more dignified. So therefore, he concludes that definitely Jewish law says that, yes, you want to help the poor, you're welcome to do so. But that doesn't exempt you from paying taxes to the community who will then distribute to the poor as well. You want on top of the taxes, communal taxes that you pay, give money to care for the poor. That's wonderful. You can do that, but that's in addition to your communal responsibility. And so that's what we always did historically. Historically, in Jew every single Jewish community, when we had organized Jewish communities that had taxation power and were able to tax the community, we had a communal fund for a charity which would distribute money to the poor, and there would be communal officer, community officers who would elected officers who had the authority to compel members of the community to give. You want to be part of the community, you would have to give. And they would then have the ability to ask people how much they're earning, and based on how much they were earning, decide, or how much wealth they had, decide how much they were able to give to the poor. It would be the communal officers who would decide how much you should give. You can't decide on your own. It was their responsibility to decide, and they would force you to give. And that's the way Jewish communities always work throughout history. As long as we had these organized kehilas, the organized Jewish community, um, we would collect from the, forcibly collect from the wealthy. Um, there would be an assessment, assessing each person how much they're responsible to give. It would go into a communal fund, and then from that fund, it was then distributed to the poor. There's actually a fascinating report from a fellow called Lancet Addison. He was an English gentleman, um, and he served as the chaplain of the British Army in Tangiers, Morocco, in the 1600s. And that was when the Britain, Britain was first building their empire. That had a garrison in Tangiers, and he was the chaplain. And while he was there, he was fascinated by the Jewish community in Tangiers in Morocco. And so he wrote a book called The Present State of the Jews about the community in Morocco. And over there he writes about how impressed he is. There are no poor Jews. All the Jews are taken care of by their own community. And how they require the wealthy to give a certain amount. And then they distribute to all the poor. All the poor are taken care of. So we as a community have a requirement, as a Jewish community, definitely have a requirement to take from the wealthy and give back and give that money to those in need. 
Yes, every individual who can afford it has a requirement on their own to do so, um, independent of the community, but there's also a communal requirement, and the communal requirement, if they take care of everyone, can satisfy your individual requirement to collect from the wealthy and give to those in need. Yes, Rob. Well, we'll get to exactly what you should give. I'm going to get to very soon. But there's definitely a responsibility to care for the poor. Now, before we get into what we should give the poor, what exactly we should give them, and how we ensure that people don't take advantage, uh, before we get to that, I just want to first address another issue, which is a lot of people are worried about income inequality. Um, Income inequality, meaning it's not fair that some people are rich and some people are poor. And some people would like to more fairly redistribute the wealth. In other words, not because there are those in need and we have to find those that have extra money or can can afford to give part with a little bit and help the poor that are more in need than themselves. That's not the issue, but we're concerned it's simply unfair that some people have more and some people have less. It appears to simply be unfair, right? Why should some people have more, some people have less? There was a movement a couple years ago. It seems to have... um, uh, It seems to have... um, dwindled a little bit, but um, where the 99% were rallying against the 1%. Um, In other words, people were upset that most of the wealth was in the hands of 1%. So is that okay, that there are rich and there are poor? Should it be like that? So the truth is, the Talmud says that this question was actually asked by King David. King David asked this question of God. It's unfair that there are, some people are wealthy and some people are unwealthy. Why did you do that? Why did you make some people rich and some people poor? So God explained to King David, I did that so that people would give charity. In a world where everybody had everything they needed, nobody would care for anybody else. You would never have to help another person. It would be a very, very sad place. It would be a very bad place. Everybody has everything they needed. Nobody helps anyone. So therefore, God made the world where some people have and some people don't have in order that some people can help others. So yes, God made a world like that. Some people have, some people don't have in order that those that have help those that don't have. But that was God's choice. God made the world in such a place like as such a way that some people were supposed to have, some people were not supposed to have, but in order that those that were not suppo- that were that have should use their money to help those that don't have. So is it unfair? It's unfair, but God wanted it to be unfair. But the responsibility of those that have is to use their resources to help the people that don't have. So yes, we Jews believe strongly in private property. Um, In fact, the Torah is one of the sources of private property, if not the source of private property in Western thought. Um, We believe one of the Ten Commandments is do not steal. Every person has their own land and their own assets. And so we do believe very much in private property. And every person, God gives people whatever he gives them. And we have the right to do business and to take risks and to invest, we value invest, investing, uh, we value innovation, we value hard work, um, and if people earn money, and it's not, um, if so be it, that's theirs, um, God wanted them to have it, but why does God want them to have it? Not for them to keep it, so that they should then use it to give to others. And that's why the Torah says, actually, in this week's parasha, there will always be poor people, No matter what you do, you'll never eliminate poverty. I think some years ago we tried our federal government that likes to declare war on all sorts of different ideas um, forever. 
Um, so they've declared war on poverty. It was a war on poverty. But the war on poverty will never be won. That's what the Torah says. There will always be poor people. Because God wants those that have to give to those that don't have. So God wants there to be poor people, but know that you should keep them poor, that you should give them what they need. We're going to talk about that in a few in a few minutes. But the truth is, the truth is, the Torah says that what we have, those that do have, though we recognize that it's their private property, those that have, we recognize that God gives them property, but it's not truly theirs. What you have does not really belong to you. In last week's reading we said, if you have wealth, don't think that you built it. Don't think that business is yours. God is the one who granted you wealth. Anything that you own is yours. And we value personal property. We don't allow you to take someone's property without permission. But it's yours granted to you by God. But it still belongs to God. It was granted, it's given to you by God on loan so that you should use it in the way that God wants. So it's not really yours. It's yours, but it's not really yours. It's yours that you should give it to others, that you should help others with it. You should use it for good. That's why God gives it to you. That's why we say, It's all from you. Everything that we own belongs to God. In Psalms we say, To God is the earth and everything in it belongs to God. In fact, we Jews have a custom that when we write our name on something, you want to label something, you write your name on something, we always first write the words, the letter, sorry, which is an acronym for La Hashem Ha'aretz of Law from chapter 24 of Psalms. Everything belongs to God. So you never write your name, this belongs to. It doesn't belong to you. You write, everything belongs to God in care of yourself. Because nothing belongs to, truly belongs to you. It really belongs to God. When you give in Pirkei Avot and Ethics of Our Fathers, we say, Ten lo michelo. When you give somebody else, you're giving them their thing. It's really God's. God wants you to give it to them. Everything belongs to God anyway. You're giving God back what belongs to Him. It's not really yours. In fact, the reason why the Torah prohibits stealing, what's wrong with stealing? Why is stealing so terrible? Why can't I take something that belongs to somebody else? Why is it so bad? <coughs> so, the reason is because if God gave it to somebody, everything belongs to God, it's in care of this individual so that they should use it. If you take it from them, they won't be able to do their job that God gave them. If you take it from them illegally, if you steal it from them, then you're taking away their opportunity to use it in the way God wanted them to use it. So that they won't be able to fulfill that opportunity. That's why stealing is wrong. Not because it belonged to that individual, but because you're taking away their opportunity to use it for the right thing. And that's why in Hebrew, the Hebrew word for charity is tzedakah. But tzedakah doesn't really translate as charity. Charity means that you do something good. Tzedakah comes from the word tzedek. Tzedek means justice. When you give charity, you're doing justice. You're doing the right thing. You're doing what you're expected to do. You don't get credit for it. or You, you get, of course, God credits every mitzvah. But you don't get, it's not that like you volunteered it, you gave it out of the goodness of your heart. You're expected to give it. God gave it to you so that you should give it to somebody else. That's why you have it in order to help somebody else with it. So we do value private property, but recognizing that whatever we own really doesn't belong to us, 
but it really belongs to God. And God only, it's only in our care in order that we should use it for what God wants. So why does some people God give and some people God doesn't give? So that those that He gave more should then care for those who don't have. It's all His. But He wants us to care for each other. So that's the way He did it. He gave some more and some less. And that way He gets us to care for each other. But it's all His. So when we give, we're really giving what truly belongs to them, to others. When King David got the answers to his questions, how did he handle the poor in his uh, country? That's a very good question. I don't know how King David handled the poor in his country. We don't have necessarily a detailed description, but we will tell you soon how we're going to handle the poor. I'm going to get to that very soon. But before we do, a couple more points. So another issue that people are concerned about is, uh, people are concerned that we've mentioned about, it's unfair, some are wealthy, some are not. In Torah, we're not concerned about that. We have to care for those in need. But it's okay, if God gave you more, then God gave it to you for a reason, for you to do something with it, for you to do something good with it. We don't, it's, we, there's no reason why people should have a maximum amount that they're able to make. There shouldn't be a maximum amount of wealth. People ask, what do you need billions of dollars for? What does a billionaire need a billion dollars for? Truth is, a billionaire, can. there's nothing of real value that a billionaire could spend a billion dollars on. I mean, you could buy yachts, but well, yachts are not of real value. Right? Nothing meaningful that you could spend a billion dollars on. But you can use that money to give to others. That's why God gave it to you. So there's nothing wrong with someone having a billion dollars so long as you're going to use it for the right thing, to help others in the right way. And uh, so, yet, there's nothing wrong with having too much money. But there is, and this is important, there is, though, a concern of concentration of wealth. And this is something that our society has debated for a long time, um, where sometimes too much wealth gets concentrated in the hands of a few, and then what happens is they end up creating um, oligarchies or... Um, Oh, they end up creating an economy where it limits other people's ability to succeed. They end up creating, because the wealth brings power or economic power, they're able to then shut other people out. And monopolies, oligarchies. And so that's always been a problem throughout our history. And so the Torah is very concerned with that. In fact, when we came, one of the biggest ways that oligarchies were created over history was between the landed class and the peasant class. So in most societies, what happens over time is all the land gets distributed among a few people. They gradually build their portfolio of more and more and more land. And then a lot of people have no land. The people with land then become very wealthy. The people with no land then remain very poor. Of course, there's only a limited amount of land in any given area. So, without land, you have no limit really to grow and build wealth. The Torah, though, had a rule called the Yovel, the Jubilee year. Every Jew was given a plot of land when they came into the Promised Land. And you could lease that land. But every 50 years, it went back to the family of the original owners. Either the original owner or their children or their grandchildren. They're no longer alive. Every 50 years, it went back. So what happened is every Jew still owned a plot of land. You couldn't permanently sell that land. Every Jew was landed class. No person was able to collect all the land in their... Uh, and no Jew was able to collect all the land or was able to collect large amounts of land because it always went back. And the truth is we had rules in every Jewish society. We had rules to prevent these kind of antitrust rules, as they call it today, um, to prevent monopolies and oligarchies. We had rules that, um, similar to antitrust rules today, where you cannot make business deals that shut other people out. You cannot make the wealthy and successful cannot make deals that they'll only do business with each other, not allowing anyone else to do business with them, and the like. And so in Judaism, we always had those kind of rules to ensure that a handful of successful people don't 
use their success, the power that comes with their financial success, to shut out everybody else so that everybody else has an opportunity as well. So that is important. But moving back to how we help the poor. So we do believe, as we said, that in every Jewish community, we have the money that we have is not really ours. We have a requirement to help those in need. And the communities on a whole would collect money from those that have in order to distribute among those that don't have. This is not only a requirement for Jews, but this is a requirement for everyone. All of humanity have a requirement of tzedakah. The city of Sodom, as we mentioned before, was punished because they failed to give charity. They failed to care for those among them that were in need. They believed every person should be on their own. Everyone should take care of themselves. They made it illegal to give charity. God destroyed such a place. They weren't Jewish. You don't need to be Jewish to help others. Every human being is responsible to help those in need, to help others in need. And as we said, it's a communal obligation. We have an individual obligation to help people in need, but we also have a communal obligation to ensure that everybody is cared for. So now that we know that we have both as a Jewish communion obligation to ensure that we're cared for, as well as a general obligation to ensure everybody within our community is cared for. So how should we care for them? What should we do for them? And how can we ensure that people don't take advantage of the system? What do we do? Now, someone earlier asked about um, basic income. We don't have an obligation to give those that can care for themselves income. Only those that don't have. We have an obligation to care for the poor. We don't have an obligation to give those that have already. Right? We don't have now. We want to build a society and we mutually agree that we'll all pull our things together um, well, I guess that's a mutual agreement. If we choose to do so, we can. But there's definitely no ethical obligation to do such a thing. We should care for those in need, not those that are not in need. <coughs> so, how do we care for people? So, in Jewish history, historically, we always had two different funds. One was called kupa. Kupa means the box, the charity box. In Yiddish, we call it the pushka, the charity box. The second was called the tamchoy, the kitchen, the soup kitchen, is the way you'd say it today in English. Two different systems. Both are providing basic necessities. Food, shelter, medical help, education, both are providing basic, basic necessities. But there is a difference. The kupa gives people who are part of society and they have no money. And it basically gives them money. It's money distribution. We distribute money to buy food, to buy other necessities. Some communities would actually give cash. In many communities it wasn't cash, but it was rather, today they have food stamps. But we had this in Jewish communities always. We had papers that you would give this to the store and then the store would get reimbursed by the community. That way you made sure people didn't misspend the money. So they would, we would give money to those in need. Then there was the tamchoy. Tamchoy was a soup kitchen. It was essentially a kitchen. Anybody could walk in and get a warm meal. Along with the tamchoy, usually went what was called a hektish. Hektish literally means a um, sanctuary. Um, or a holy place, um, and it was a place for where anybody can, it was essentially a shelter, right? Anybody could be sheltered. What's the difference between the kupa and the tamchoy? Very big difference. The tamchoy is for your immediate, the soup kitchen is for immediate, and the shelter is for immediate needs. It's no questions asked. Anybody who wants you want to walk into a soup kitchen and get a meal, you get a meal. Anybody who's ready to walk into the soup kitchen gets a meal. We don't ask any questions. Anybody who walks into the shelter needs a place to sleep, gets a room to sleep. No questions asked. 
There's no conditions. Food, shelter, you have torn clothing, we'll give you new clothing. No conditions to that. The kupa, though, the charity box, the fund, that there were conditions. You have to firstly be a resident. As a community, we're responsible to take care of our community. We're not responsible to take care of other communities. That's there. If we have extra, sure, it's always good to give charity, but that's not our requirement. Our requirement is to take care of our community. So, the, and we always have to take care for sure of our community first before we take care of other communities. So our fund, you've got to be a resident. If you're not a resident, you cannot get from the fund. Otherwise, you come from a different town and show up and say, I'm poor. You can eat from the soup kitchen, that's fine, but you don't live here. Furthermore, you have to really be poor. Show us your bank account. Show us your assets. What do you have? We want to make sure you're really poor. We ask to really see what's going on. We want to make sure we could constantly reevaluate. We don't want to just give to people who are just taking when they don't really need. Show us your assets. Now, to be clear, the Talmud tells us some people have assets that are still poor. There can be a person who has property, owns property, that right now cannot be sell, sold at market value for whatever reason. Uh, just leans on the property. There might be issues with the property for whichever reason. For the meantime, it cannot be sold. And cannot be, they cannot put any, they cannot mortgage, they cannot get a loan on it. Um, if they don't have access to cash, they're cash poor, they can't live. They could still collect from the from the charity. They might have assets, but it's assets they don't have access to. So the fact that you have assets doesn't disqualify you. You have to know, only somebody who doesn't have assets that they could cash in, right? If you don't have assets you could cash in, then you're eligible for, um, then you're eligible for the public fund. But to get from the public fund, you need, there were eligibility requirements. From the soup kitchen and shelter, anyone can walk in. From the public fund, there's got to be eligibility rules. Throughout yes, the class, Tom. you have said there's an obligation of the community. Yes. You said that you must be a member of the community. Yes. With regards to what you're speaking about, please define what you mean by community. That is an excellent question, Don. How do we define community? What is a community? So the legal definition of a community is essentially any group of people in a geographic location that band together to create an organized structure that's going to facilitate social interaction. So there can be many different types of communities. So we Jews used to have in the shtetl, we used to have what was called the kahila, the official Jewish community. We have today... Then they would have sometimes lots of shtetls would join together, right, for a regional community. And then they had in some areas, um, like in Poland in the 1500s, they had a what was called the Vad Arba Artsis, Council of Four Lands, um, which was essentially a federated community for all of Eastern Europe. We had this federal community. We had a similar thing in Germany at a certain point in Iraq when we lived there in various other places we had federated communities so you have local communities and then you can have larger communities of course our first responsibility is to our local community but then communities have responsibility to each other within a federation of communities so we can join together as communities any way we like once we've joined together anyone who comes into that geographic location has the choice to either if they want to live there and benefit has to be part of the community, has to, has, has to automatically join. You don't have a choice to live in an area without being part of the community. But that's so that we could define community in any way. Today in our secular communities, we have cities, counties, states, and we even have a federal government. They're all communities. So does the obligation that you have been speaking of, without reiterating them all, extend to secular Yes, yes. It's not only for Jews, it's for non-Jews too. 
These are our values that we would like our non-Jewish community to accept. We cannot necessarily force them, but we do have a say. We're lucky to live in a democracy. But we do have a say as to what their values should be. So uh, those, were the, those are our ideal values, values that we should care for those in need. Rabbi, yes? Would you say that um, our community here at Chabad, that's a community? That's also a community. We don't really have membership. It doesn't work in the same way. Um, but we still, we, have, we try to take care of the Jews in need and within our own community. Yes. In Europe, we had very organized Jewish communities. They still do in some countries today. Um, in Germany, I think, they tax. There's actually a... Um, the German government taxes you to your religious community. Um, there's a religious tax that you pay. Um, and you choose... Or if you're not religious, part of any religious community, you have to pay the federal, the federal government. Otherwise, there's a religious tax that you pay that goes to the Jewish community. It's very organized. Most places... In the United States, it's not... We don't have organized Jewish communities. We still have secular communities. So, but you don't... Also here, we, you don't collect any sort of dues or anything? We don't collect dues, no. It's so all... where would this um, synagogue get the money <coughs> from to distribute to the poor? Donations. 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 We get donations, yeah. We don't collect dues. So now when they had organized communities, they did collect. They definitely collected taxes. You want to live there, you have to pay taxes. Otherwise, they kicked you out. Right? Or they forcibly took it from you. So now, so how, so how should we impress? So what, sorry, so what exactly should we pay for? What care do we have to give people in? So our sages list, list a handful of things that we must care for others. Firstly, we have a responsibility to ensure that everybody has food and lodging and clothing. Those are basic necessities. Every, we have a responsibility to ensure that everybody has that. Somebody who's hungry, give them food, soup kitchen. Somebody who has, or pay from the fund if they're established and uh, it's a more of a permanent situation, to pay from the fund so that they should have money for food. So we should be able to care, so we should be able to get food uh, help them with food, lodgings for people in need, um, either if it's temporary to have this sh- shelter, a hectish we called it, um, or if it's permanent, have some sort of, or long term, have so- help them with the fund to help make sure they have lodgings, clothing. We also have an obligation, a communal obligation to heal the sick. We have a communal obligation to heal the sick. If people are sick, we have a responsibility to help them. So we as a community must have ways of healing the sick, and they had in all Jewish communities public doctors, public hospitals in larger communities that had their hospitals um, that were open to the public, and anybody in need was was able to go to and able to get healing. We also have other communal responsibilities that are maybe not as widely recognized today. It is a mitzvah, our sages say, among our responsibilities to other people, is to help people get married and get set up. So we have a mitzvah to help people pay for their weddings. Now, it doesn't have to be a lavish and extravagant wedding, but we have a mitzvah to help pay for people's weddings and help pay for people to set up their homes when they begin a family. That is a mitzvah, not something that's widely seen today in modern times, but it was a mitzvah in every Jewish community historically among the various funds, charity funds that they had was what was called hachnasat kala, which was um, literally bringing in the bride. It was a charity to help cover wedding and initial setup uh, home expenses for new couples. That was part of one of the funds of the community. We also, as a community, have responsibility to bury the dead. Levayatamet, it's called. We have responsibility to bury the dead, and every community had a, what was called a chevra kadisha, a holy society, which was a free burial society, that we would, um, those in need, those that were unable to pay for a funeral and for a grave, we would take care of it for them. Another mitzvah that you don't normally hear about but um, required in Jewish law. We also have a separate responsibility, not part of the mitzvah of tzedakah, but really its own mitzvah, which is to ensure that every child gets a proper Jewish education. 
That's a mitzvah of Jewish education. It's a standalone mitzvah. Ensure those that can afford it themselves can pay for their own children's education. Those that cannot afford it, we have a communal responsibility to have public schooling to ensure that everybody's able to get, every Jew at least, is able to get a Jewish education. Now, the truth is that in addition to these handouts that we're supposed to be giving people, Maimonides says there's really a much, much better way to give charity. Better than the soup kitchens and the shelters. Better than the, which we are supposed to do, better than the funds that we give out to eligible people that need funds to survive or need funds to heal or need funds for weddings or need funds for burial. So better than all those funds, there's a better way to give charity, says Maimonides. The best way to give charity is to help people not need charity anymore. How do we do that? There's a few ways to do that. Firstly, teach people skills that they will need in order to be able to have a job. Secondly, find people jobs. Offer people jobs, find people jobs. And thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, free loans to help people build a business, lend money for free without any interest. It's forbidden anyway in Judaism to um, lend on interest. And every Jewish community had trade schools. We Jews always, anyone who had a business would go out of their way to try to hire people that they could hire. And then we as Jews, every Jewish community had a free loan society. It was called in Hebrew a gemach, or in Yiddish a gemach. Gemach is an acronym for gemilat chesed, giving kindness. Because it's the greatest form of kindness, is to lend to people to get them in, to get them on their own feet. In fact, my, um, my great-grandfather had a very prom- led a very prominent gemach, free loan society in New York. This is going back about almost a century. Um, Today, my father's cousin still runs that free loan society. I was once at a dinner for that society many years ago, and uh, there was a very, very wealthy individual at that society, somebody who owns many, many buildings and the like. And he got up and said that, you know, he the way he became so successful was thanks to this free loan society. They lent him the first down payment for his first building and then for his second building. And um, they lent him the money for his, uh, to originally start his business and he gives back to, the, to, to it. But many people, the Jewish community started with free loans. With free loans that we gave each other that whether from family and friends or from um, or from the communal free loan society. Um, You're responsible to pay back, but it gives people their own sense of responsibility. If you give someone a loan, they have to pay it back. They don't pay it back, you're gonna take their house, or you're gonna take whatever else they may may have mortgaged for the loan. So they have to pay it back, but you're giving them a free loan, giving them an opportunity to then invest. Um, And so we should help other people. And one thing that people always noted about Jewish communities, including that English fellow we mentioned before, is that the reason why Jewish communities have always been so successful financially is we always looked out for each other. Someone was falling on hard times, we gave them a job, we helped teach them a skill, we helped lend them money, someone's business was going through a rough patch, we lent them money, someone had a business idea, we lent them money, free loans. We always were there trying to help each other succeed. In that way, we've been able to succeed. Um, in, we've been able to succeed. So ideally, rather than just handouts, ideally, rather, we should give loans. If we give loans or teach skills or offer jobs, people don't need the handouts anymore. And that's our ideal, is to try to get people off the handouts, get people off charity as much as we can. Annette, you had a question. I, I was wondering, is there like a time frame that you're supposed to pay that loan back? Depends. Every loan, make your own agreement as to when you want to pay back. Yes? Um, I learned this morning that there are 100,000 children in Ethiopia that are starvation. Do you 
they not, may not be technically geographically part of our community, but do you think that Chabad would feel inclined to help a group like that? I don't know about Chabad. I think it's a question about Jews in general. Um, what is our responsibility to people in Ethiopia? So I think it's very clear, and I said it earlier, that if we have extra, we definitely could send to others. Um, we have a unique responsibility to help Jews in Israel, but that's a separate thing. But generally, our responsibility is first and foremost to our own community. In fact, the community where I grew up in Melbourne, the rabbi used to always say, you know, in his speeches, you know, people, generous people often give to charities all around the world. And he'd always say, your charity starts here. You've got to always start with your own community. There's people in your community in need, and when we come to you and say, please help with this cause and that cause, and you say, I cannot do it, you cannot be giving money to other charities elsewhere. You've got to always first care for your own community. Absolutely. Your own community comes beforehand, but first. Absolutely. Um, and so, yes, I know there are starving people around the world, but we believe we have to care for our community first. That is the Jewish value. Our community comes first. If we have extra, definitely we should help others as well. And so, thank you. So, um, now, sometimes, so our ideal is, so when somebody walks in, in a Jewish community, this way it would work in a kahila, and this is at least the way we'd like our general secular community to work, is somebody comes in, they're homeless, they're poor, they have no food, they have no clothing, feed them, clothe them, give them shelter. Temporarily. Temporarily, feed them, clothe them, give them shelter. Don't ask any questions. You need a meal? Here's a meal, no problem. They're there for a couple days, though. You ask them, so what are you, where are you headed? What's your next step? What are you planning to do? Right? Can't stick around forever? So it depends. Some people, perhaps, are elderly, have, you know, other problems. They cannot work. They're um, disabled. They cannot work. They cannot, well, we'll help them find a permanent housing and then a regular stipend to help them get food, to help them get the basics that they need. That would be the coupa, the charity, the, the fund. If though they can work, then we help them. And they have to be a resident too, right? If they're not a resident, we say, go try the next town, right? Can't stay here for too long. You've got to move on. Or go back to your hometown. Um, if, however, um, if, uh, if they're, they're there to stay, if they're able to work, say, well, what's your skill? If they have a marketable skill, we try to find them a job. If they don't have a marketable skill, we send them to trade school, public trade school. Go learn a marketable skill and get the and then help them find a job. If they say, I want to build my own business, sure, we'll help you out. Come up with an idea. We're not going to lend you money for nothing. We're not going to throw money in the garbage. Come up with an idea that you can convince us has a good chance to succeed. It's got to be a good business idea. Otherwise, we're not, um, we're not lending you money that's going to be thrown out. But you come with a good business. We'll definitely will help you out. You want to you have a way, you have some new creative. We'll definitely we'll help you out. We'll give you a, we'll give you a loan. See how you do. As it does, if you need more, we'll give you more if you're doing okay. If you're losing it, we're not giving you more. Then you've got to go find the job somewhere else. Um, so we, we, we've got to do it within reason, right? We don't want to lose communal funds. We've got to be careful with communal funds. So now what happens to people that don't want to work? So you know what? I'm happy. I'm not disabled. I can work, but I choose not to. I like to just sit all day and dream. I don't want to do anything. What about people that choose not to work? So firstly, that's very, very rare. It's very rare. Most people, given the opportunity, will work. It's very, very rare. But if people did not want to work, want to just rely on the community, relax, um, they weren't able to do that. We'd use various carrots and sticks, such as denying them. We'd say, I'm sorry, we won't give you food anymore. If you don't want to work, you've got to get to work. Um, if you don't want to, we, we, we won't give you food. We won't give you shops. And we could also use carrots. You know what? 
you'll be in a much better place in the shelter and have much better opportunities if you work. So we can use ways. Generally, um, we have to care for anyone in need. But if somebody has an opportunity to care for themselves and refuses, then we do have the ability to deny them. Say, I'm sorry, we can't help you then. So to sum up, and we'll overcome and take some questions soon. So to sum up, does Jewish Judaism believe in government welfare? The answer is absolutely yes. We do believe as a community, we have a communal responsibility to help others. We don't have an issue with inequality. Inequality, I did a class a few months ago about inequality in general. We don't have an issue with wealth inequality. That's fine. We don't need to be equal. God purposely made some people wealthy, some people not. Whatever you own, though, is not yours. It's yours to give to others. As a community, we have a responsibility as a community to help those in need, which include taking from those that have, by force if they don't want to give, and um, assessing those how much they can give, and then giving it to those in need. How do we give to those in need? As we mentioned, there are two different systems. Immediate help, where we give no questions asked. Long-term help, which you have to be eligible for. And even then... If somebody is able to care for themselves, then we help them figure out a way to care for themselves so that they don't need long-term help. So that is our ideal Jewish kehila. That is our ideal Jewish form of welfare. Um, Now, our governments over the years have built various systems. Now, there's no perfect way to do all that. There's a lot of different ways you could do some of those things. Our government has built different systems over the years. of welfare on a local level, on a city level, on a county level, on a state level, on a federal level. Um, At least in the last few years, it doesn't seem to be working too well in this city, or this county, I should say, larger city. Um, But there's definitely more that we can do. Um, We should be careful not to waste money. Unfortunately, we live in a society where a lot of our... the money gets wasted on wasteful programs that don't really help anyone, don't do anything. Um, and all sorts of middlemen um, end up gaining from it. So we've got to be careful about that. It's public funds. Um, But we do believe that we have a responsibility to help people, people in immediate need, help them with their immediate needs, long-term help them, but in a more structured fashion and in a more prudent, careful fashion. And ultimately our goal is to keep, get everybody who can, get them on their own feet and get them independent. Yes. Would this obligation be inclusive of a mandate to allow anyone who wishes to to camp out and sleep and make a home on public land? I knew that question was coming. Can anyone make a home in public land? The answer, Didn't want to disappoint you. The answer is <laughs> the answer is absolutely not. We have as a community also have a responsibility for public Um, safety, public order, very important, public order. We want to live in an orderly, organized society. Part of that is we need streets that are easily, one can easily walk through, parks that can, children can play in, adults can go to, beaches that are open. So absolutely, we should not give people the option of camping out in public land. However, that, that we do need to give them private pla- other places to go to. We have a responsibility to provide them shelters um, and without wasting money, which we seem to have a knack at doing, to provide them shelters and other places to go to. Now, oh, I'll put it on the recording. Uh, now, since you've raised it, um, we're struggling today um, with people that have among other problems, uh, have other problems that makes it hard for us to get them into a shelter. And those are really, that's really beyond the scope of this class. Um, but we have to deal with other things. Um, and we have to deal with those other problems, uh, whether they're mental health problems that need to be dealt with, whether drug problems that need to be dealt with. Um, if people are acting in a way that they're harming themselves, Um, what we have to take care of their immediate needs. We also have a responsibility to help them and make sure they're not harming themselves. You don't have the right to hurt yourself. You don't have the right to drink alcohol in a harmful way. 
because you choose to do so or take drugs in a harmful way because you choose to do so. You don't have the right and we have to do everything with both carrots and sticks, including if necessary forcibly restraining people to stop them from harming themselves. Um, Torah law does not, our body just like our property is on loan from God, is in our care, but on loan from God our bodies are too. We don't have the right to destroy them. Someone else is harming themselves. We have to stop them from doing so, physically stop them. Um, so yes, I mean even sleeping outside is harmful to your body too um, and not having adequate shelter. Um, so we have to do our best to try to help these people, including, if necessary, using maybe some sticks or some you know, more forceful means. Yes, um, Lewis. Um, the, the Israeli press is, uh, every week they have stories about the government versus the Haredi community, very religious, and the Haredi resisting, wanting to work in society, and the government pushing them towards it. Can you comment on what's happening there? Uh, I'll get to that in a minute. Let me hear Debbie's question first. Oh, I just wanted to know, wh where does a person go if they need help? In our community? Yeah. So in our community, we're not a kahila that has kind of the membership and in that sense, but we do have, you know, programs to help people in various situations. And we do have, and there are kind of in the larger Jewish community in Los Angeles, there are definitely resources as well that we work with. So you would contact? Contact me. Yeah, you could contact me and I'd be happy to help on any, about any, for any particular situation. Okay. Or send them to me and I'd be happy to try to help. 